Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of No Reserve, Haggerty's podcast about the enthusiast car market. Now, we're here to help you make sense of the market, whether you're buying, selling, or just watching. Now, this week, we're talking BMWs and the kids because they love them. We're also covering a $3 million Koenigsegg no-sale, an upcoming CTSV with a stick auction and more of the hottest auctions on the interwebs. I'm Larry Webster, editor of Haggerty Media, and I'm joined by Dave Kinney, publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide. Between us, we've got decades of experience buying, selling, and driving the cars we love. Plus, we're not just guessing at the values. We're backed up by the data of the Haggerty Valuation Tools. All right, let's get into it. All right, we're recording this on Wednesday, May 3rd. Just getting into the height of the driving season, Dave. It's always been interesting. And one thing I'd like to talk to you about with is an article that just was on um, insider.haggerty.com. And it was about BMWs and the next generation. Do you have a chance to look at it? I sure did, man. It's a really interesting piece. It's, uh, uh, you know, a little bit surprising in a lot of ways. In some ways, it's just a natural progression. But uh, baby boomers, again, we're stepping out. Millennials taking over. Yeah. Um, are you surprised that, I mean, we, we know that's a trend in general. We were just looking at the Haggerty quote volume the other day. And, you know, the, the, the generation called Gen Z, which I think is built born around the year 2000 is going up and the quote volume from like the boomers are going down a little bit. However, what they found was that these BMWs are especially popular. And um, that was a little bit surprising to me that this one brand spoke out. I've got some thoughts about that, but what jumps into your mind? You know, I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've seen the E46 M3s, the Z3s, the E39s. We've seen, you know, such a lot of uh, activity in these cars. And it is kind of surprising because to me, a BMW, you know, bought first time by the attorney or the, you know, person who works at the lawyer's office or the dentist or whatever. Um, you don't think of it as a car that might have appealed across generations when back in the day. It was kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a serious commuter car. Uh, but now these things are being hooned. They're being, you know, they're being raced in all kinds of ways. They're just unbelievable amount of accessories that put on that people put on these cars. And it's made them a lot more flexible and I guess a lot more enduring to uh, different generations. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's fascinating to me is like the E34 generation M5. So that's, it's only a two-year model from 91 to 93, uh, that gained um, 25% or about 24% in value uh, just in a year, in the past year, which is kind of a big jump in a market which, uh, you know, fact check me here, Dave, last year was not a great growth market for the enthusiast vehicles, right? But this BMW is really bucking that trend. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, Pontiacs and Chevrolets are, are, you know, in a lot of cases treading water. Well, uh, some of these BMWs are just increasing in value incredibly dramatically. Uh, you know, the other thing is that they've proven to have such a long life. I mean, you know, you look at them in the, the standard, uh, the standard ad that you read, it's, it's like 210,000 miles, 180,000, 300,000 miles. Uh, which is a lot different than a lot of other cars. They, they seem to have not a second life, but not just a second life, but a third life as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. I have an E36 M3. It's my second E36 3 Series. I, I just love that crisp body style. And the community um, of enthusiasts for this car and the parts supplier from Pelican Parts to Bimmer World, 
I mean, to your point, they have them figured out. Like, you know, they'll tell you, like, how many miles you got in the car? We're like, oh, 80,000. Well, did you do the radiators yet? Nope. Well, they got plastic tanks. Go replace the radiator. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and buy, buy two while you're at right. it if you're planning on keeping the car because you're going to need it again. I know, I know. So um, there's a real ecosystem keeping these things on the road. That said, one thing that does surprise me a little bit, especially like what they call the E9X and the F80 generation M3s, which are uh, about the 2010-ish and, and newer, there's a lot of moving parts on those things. They're not simple cars, yet they're still very, very popular among Gen Z and millennials. Does that surprise yeah. you? Yeah, it, it's funny because you know my appeal is to, to the Z3s and even the uh, uh, the Z4s. I like both of them. Yeah. I know, you know, blasphemy to say you like a, a Z4, although that's changing. Uh, but I like the kind of built-in simplicity that they have uh, compared to you know an M5 or something like that. So uh, uh, you know, it's it's it, the, I guess the other thing that we should say is there's so many choices in this uh, oh. uh, BMW world. I, you know, I mean, they made some cars like you said for a two-year time span, a few for a four-year time span, and then changed out the models. So there's all these choices out there for people who want a. Uh, uh, we're just going to say the word classic, a classic BMW. Yeah, I mean, the ones that stick out in my mind are they did this model. It was called the ZHP, I think is it was like a uh, it, it wasn't the full M3 and it wasn't a regular 328. It was kind of in the middle and they didn't make a ton of them. And the changes weren't huge, but they were just right. It had a nice suede steering wheel, right stripes. Those are pretty uh, rare birds if you can find one of those. But awesome, fun, enthusiast cars, even though they're four-door sedans. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. The tastes are changing. Yeah, it, it's, it's very, very interesting all the way around. And I think that, you know, you could do a case study on BMWs and forget every other car that was a possible choice. I mean, you know, upmarket, you can go to a Benz. There are some choices there, but most of those things are, are not doing as well in the marketplace in terms of enthusiasm and catching on with the younger generation. Yeah. And then you can go backwards in the Toyota and the Subarus and things like that, uh, which were less expensive when new. Uh, but they're all different markets. I mean, we've been talking, I've been talking all along about how bifurcated the market is, and that means cut in half, by the way, um, <laughs> or at least cut into two. Um, Thank you, Dave. This, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I just see, I, I did that specially for you, Larry. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyhow, the uh, the whole idea is that all these cars are moving in separate markets, much more so than they ever have been. I think that'll come around maybe by next year or something like that. But wow, BMW enthusiasts are ruling their world so you mean they're definitely doing it. The, the the bmw market on its own it's its own market not like the bmw models specifically are their exactly. own markets okay. exactly yeah. i mean i think i think people decide on bmw and then they don't cross shop from there as part of what we're talking about i see so we were talking about the e30 m3 that was the first m3 in the 80s and how expensive those cars are i mean they are super cool let's face it but they're six-figure cars now but all the bmws that we featured in that article are very attainable under $50,000. So suddenly this car that was like a premium German brand is 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 very much an attainable enthusiast car for your fun machine, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so, I, you know, I, how many times do we have to say this? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've been around the old car world for, for longer than you two guys have been alive as far as that goes, or all of us, uh, most all of us are. But in the meantime, um, you know, there is no 
kids these days don't want cars. Oh my oh, God, yeah. is that wrong? Totally. I mean, you know, it's yeah. like it's like you know, and and if you have to, if you have to refresh your memory on that. You can do it from your. Uh, you can do it from your sofa. You can watch a Meekum auction. You can watch a Barrett Jackson auction. I suggest you go out and take a look. Look, Broad Arrow's got this uh, Porsche auction coming up. I bet you the average age that's going to be there is about thirty-five years old, not sixty-five years old, yeah. and that's a big, big difference. So we're we're all good. Yeah. The one thing, I'll, if I could just end on this, and 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 you can tell me if I'm full of it or if this is true. The one thing I've always noticed because I I spent a lot of time in these BMWs. Um, working at various car magazines, the thing that always fascinated me, when they came out with that Z3 Roadster that was in the Bond movie, they followed it up with the Z4. You drive any of those cars, maybe not the M Roadster versions, the real souped-up ones, but the regular ones, they are like cruisers. They do not feel very crisp and sporting. For that kind of agile handling, the BMWs you want are the sedans. And especially the three series. I always found that super interesting. And I guess it makes sense through the, you know, the, the, the founder of the sports sedan, but it's certainly true. I think, don't you? Yeah. You can live the uh, enthusiast dream with three of your friends and that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, very, very, I mean, you know, we're talking a few Mercedes Benz that, that hold true to that. Obviously, you know, some of the, uh, the uh, GR Toyotas and the Subaru uh, uh, WRXs and things like that hold true to that. But mostly when you're talking enthusiast cars, you're talking straight on sports cars, roadsters, something like that. But in this uh, architecture, the the four doors rule uh, and are doing quite well. Yeah. And then maybe I'll going to pick my favorite and let's see, I'll give you a minute to pick yours. But the the one that's not talked about because it's pretty rare, I want to say it's a 2013 or 2014 model year. It was the one series, they called it the M Coupe, and that had the twin turbo straight six, um, just sporty enough. It was kind of felt like really an original M3 in that it's size. It was nice and tight, super duper fun. And um, that is one of those sleeper collector cars. If I had one or found one, I would go buy it, but you just don't see them. How about you? What's your pick? You know, actually, it's the one car we haven't talked about. It's the Z8. I really love oh. the Z8s. I always have. I always will. I mean, there's that retro look to it. Uh, and, you know, of course, the press dam that is the German Corvette and it all is. that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, so what? So what if it's a German Corvette? What's wrong with that? Because I mean, it's, it's like a, three times the price of the Corvette. Well, you know, that's okay. Uh, well, I, yeah, there's an argument for that. But, boy, is that for another day. I, I'm I'm not going to not defend the Corvette here, and I'm not not going to defend the uh, Z8. But I think, uh, uh, so you know. So the, 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 the Z8, cool choice, no doubt. A really cool car, you know, kind of roomy, usable. They're pricey. Do you think they've got room to go up? I don't remember. They've only made about, what, 1,500 of them or so? No, I think it was more than that. I think, oh. well, yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was more like 2,500. Okay. It might have just been for the American market. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, we got almost all of them. They've been importing them back to Germany for a long, long time. Yeah, there is room left in the Z8. Um, it's a, you know, it, it, you know gosh, I'm going to have to use the I word. It is an iconic car. Uh, and you know, was expensive from the beginning. Never really depreciated all that much, and I think there's still room left in it. Well, it really did. It had the 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 sort of the singular BMW V8 powertrain, that 4.4 liter V8 with that five speed gearbox. I mean, that is. I I wish everybody could drive those things. That is the definition of like silky smooth. That package really pretty nice. So okay, I'm, I guess I'm not going to be able to make funny on the uh, the Z8 <laughs> pick, Dave. Unfortunately, but the one thing it did 
catch my eye this past week was a car that sold on Bring a Trailer. It was a 2021 Koenigsegg Regera. And it's a used car, right? Because it's new. It's two mm-hmm. years old. It yep. sold for $2.74 million. And I, you, I, was total, I was totally out of 2.6. How about you? I, <laughs> I, you My know, limit was 2 million. Yeah, right. Yeah, really. Uh, no, I, you know, what a cool car. And, you know, I guess everybody always says, you know, you'll never see another one coming your way and all that sort of stuff. Hell, you're never going to see another one of these at even the most high end of car shows. It's just a amazing, you know, uh, the, the, uh, you know, shape shifting size and, you know, look of the car, the paintwork, everything. It was just a truly unbelievable car all the way through. Two point seven four zero million. You know, the funny thing is, how do you say no? How do you say yes? How do you say that was a good buy? How do you say somebody wasted money? I don't think it was a waste of money. I think it was a cool, cool car. Uh, but it's definitely, you know, the the Pegaso of the future. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a wait, Dave. Not, what, what the hell's a Pegaso? Okay, Pegaso was made in the era of the 50s and yeah, maybe into the 60s, kind of a Ferrari competitor. Oh, okay. Uh, really, really co- uh, cool car that was made in Spain. And that's why it's, you know, the Koenigsegg's not from, uh, you know, not from one of the uh, the central Italian towns that almost every car comes from uh, yeah. or is born in. Uh, it's a completely different car. And it's a little off on the, uh, a little off on the side. Also, the Pegaso, kind of famous for the fact that uh, it's not, I'm not going to say very hard to work on. It's a little bit picky. I think in about 20 years, you're going to have like eight or nine people who, uh, you know, uh, can repair uh, uh, the uh, Koenigseggs around the world unless they take off and do better. Of course, they have had a good couple of years. They've sold a lot of cars, um, but not a car that you uh, normally see at the uh, dealership here and uh, wherever you are, USA. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really fascinating. I first met Christian von Koenigsegg, boy, it must have been 25 years ago. I went over to Sweden to do a story with him. His shop was still in a Pippi Longstockings kind of barn. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've seen so many, uh, really brilliant people that want to build a sports car and you listen to them, you know, nicely and you walk away and you're like, yeah, they're crazy. It's never going to work. And I said that, I said that, and God, was I wrong? And here we are. And these cars are highly valued, but interestingly, some of the commenters in that auction pointed out that a La Ferrari is still worth quite a bit more than this Ruggiero. So there is there is a, a bit of a penalty for not having that blue chip name, I would say, yeah? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I call them explainer cars. Even when you go to a car show, you have to tell people what it is. Now, you know, more and more people know what a Koenigsegg is, and obviously, you know, uh, they've built 80 of these, exa- uh, 80, they say, of these examples were built, uh, but you're still not going to see too many of them. Uh, you know, in the United States, you might see a few more in Europe. I'm not sure, you know, what their... Uh, uh, you know what their uh, actual countries that they that they went to. You know when new, uh, but um, you know it's a three point two million dollar car uh, in twenty twenty one. So took a little bit of a hit there if they paid list for it. Uh, but what a car! What a yeah, unbelievable color combinations and yeah, that's uh, cool. You know, of course, uh, not exactly, uh, uh, you know, talk about, we were talking earlier about BMW four-door sedans. This doesn't have any of that practicality whatsoever. No, I mean, if I had the dough, I would seriously consider it because, you know, Christian is like a modern-day Enzo, and he's still here. And Mm -hmm. his heart and soul and his character are in these cars without fail. Um, What continues to 
really intrigued me is that the trend for a while now has been these very low volume new sports cars appreciating very quickly after they leave the showroom floor. This one didn't. It only bid up to $2.75 million, And like you said, it, it was sold new over over three. But the LaFerraris are going for more. The 918s are going for more than they sold. I think the P1s are. I can't imagine that the AMG1 is going to go down that Gordon Murray. I mean, they're always going to be worth value. So I keep wondering, Dave, like more and more of these seven-figure sports cars are offered for sale every year new. When does that market get saturated? Are you seeing anything that'll tell you like this party's about to end? That's my question for you. Well, I think the uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, Bitcoin oh. bros, you know, that's uh, that's one of the uh, reasons why the party might be uh, just about ready to wrap up. I mean, that that Bitcoin money's still there, some of it, or, or you know, the the uh, uh, the people who invest like that. Uh, but there's still plenty of wealth out there. Um, you know, you and I have most of it, Larry. I know, and uh, <laughs> you know, we we share it with a few of. Yeah, that's why I'm doing this podcast, Dave. For sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's why I'm sitting in a hotel room in Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> right now too. it's like the riviera what are you talking about come on uh, yeah the kansas riviera easily <laughs> but uh yeah but uh, no i mean there's a lot of people with a lot of money that are willing to spend it on toys and you know until that changes uh you know the both both equations people willing to spend money on toys and the, the fact that there's a lot of people with a lot of you know mostly newly found wealth out there buying these cars um, you know, we have a, we have a ways to go. I mean, all we have to do is uh, drive around the streets of Miami or Los Angeles and we'll see some of it, uh, within a few minutes. I, you know, I keep wondering on one hand, I, I feel like, okay, if I had the money, I got a allotment or a, a, a place to buy a Ford GT, the new one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have the money, but three of us are going to go in and we said, okay, we're going to, you know, you're not supposed to flip those things, but we were like, yeah, we're probably going to flip it because I don't know what we're going to do with it. But God, I really want it, and you know we'd be okay. But then when you started hearing about the numbers of cars going up, the production, I, I just got cold feet, and we bailed. But again, I was wrong, and um, you know I keep thinking like, how many special edition nine elevens can go for four hundred thousand dollars two years out of the showroom? And they keep happening, and I do feel like uh, I don't want to be chicken little, but I feel like we're something like you said, maybe it was a Bitcoin thing. Maybe there's just the volumes up. Something's shifting, and I don't know. Tell yeah, me I'm wrong, it, Dave. Uh, I'd love to tell you you're wrong, but another rare instance where you and I probably agree on this. Mm. I think that uh, um, it might be a good time to uh, you know to buy your dream car and you know have the fun that you want. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of factors out there that you know might make it a little bit more difficult. I mean, our economy in the U.S. here is looking like it's a little bit weaker all the time, so we might be heading into a recession. Maybe that'll be something that dials this back. But I got to tell you, there's just so much money out there coming from so many sources right now, uh, and it's not just uh, people dying and getting daddy's money. It's actually creating wealth as well. So, um, but uh, you know, <laughs> I was. Always a good time to buy a new uh, a new Chevy Bolt or a Honda or something like that, right? You know, that's, that's <laughs> much much more along well, our lines. All right, Dave. There's there's something I'm very excited to talk to you about because I know you know a lot about it, and I think you're going to like this even more because I'm just gonna I'm about to make whatever I said five minutes ago. Uh, I'm about to turn it up on its ear and prove maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And it's this uh, it's a 1932 Chrysler that was sold by Gooding, and the reason it was fascinating to me was 
it fetched $1.6 million. It is a beautiful car. And um, I want you to tell the, the listeners what exactly it is. But again, why is this worth as much as a Duesenberg? So I know you know a lot about it. Tell us why this car is worth that kind of dough. All right. We could spend the rest of the podcast talking about this, but we're not going to. It is a no, 19... 19- Pre-war cars have limited interest. You know that, right, Dave? Hey, I got to tell you, once again, you know, now you're wrong. Look, (laughs) if you show a picture of this car to anyone, just anyway, show it to your grandma, show it to your grandkids. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, Why? This 32 Chrysler CG Imperial, it's a custom roadster. This car was customized in period. Okay, let's just get that out of there. It was not a, uh, this is not an all-stock car. There were things oh. done to it to hot rod it in period. So it was done like in the 30s by uh, by one of the owners. Now, I know that they changed some of those uh, some of those things back before they sold. So this car's had modifications probably throughout most of its life. The windshield is slanted. The uh, you know the look of the top. Even this car even looks good when the top is up. This was part of the Mark Smith Estate auction that Gooding held in Virginia. Uh, because I live in Virginia, it was uh, required by law that I go to that auction, and I did. Um, it was a strange auction. Uh, it was not particularly super well attended, but boy did they hit it out of the ballpark. Um, this is one point six million. By the way, the most expensive Chrysler of all time. Now, one Wait, of the things it's not going to be one of those TC LeBarons. I th- I think those things are going to be movers. <laughs> Lee Iacocca said they're going to be huge. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking that yeah, you you definitely invest in the TCs. Get the one with the Mitsubishi engine for sure. I've got so. three. Okay, help, help good, me. Good. Good, and I'm I'm sure that the raccoons living in, in them now really enjoy them. But okay, uh, okay, sorry again. I interrupted you, but I had to throw that in there. One point six million, one point six. It's a lot of money. You're right. I mean, to say Duesenberg money is correct. It's Packard plus money. Um, and the, I think the beauty of this car is that it's an eight cylinder engine. It's a straight eight, so they were able to make the uh, the hood itself quite small. So it's not like this bulging hood type of car with the fenders that are interfering. Uh, oh. It's just a really, really well, well done car. Uh, Mark Smith knew his cars very, very well. Uh, I've known Mark since I was a, basically since I was a teenager when I first got involved in the uh, in the old car hobby. An unusual person for sure, uh, but he had a great eye for automobiles. Uh, this car was on the lawn at a lot of different concour. Uh, it was, uh, it so, did very, very, very well. And when he died, this was the gem of the collection. So, um, if I could just pepper you a little, some questions, I understand it was modified. The body was modified in period, which would have been in the thirties. But the way I understood these cars, the way they were built is they were rolling chassis. So they were all kind of modified in period, but this sounds like it was hot rotted. Was it done by somebody that is, was a known designer? Because I agree with you're saying the proportions of this thing are what really sell it. It's really long and thin and sleek and you know uh listeners will be able to see it via the link but anything to point sex i don't see any like names it's not like it was a boyd coddington hot rod or something like that was it well it would have been boyd's granddad who did it i think <laughs> at the right. day. no it was sold to uh like a uh, an ophthalmologist or something it was sold to a doctor in philadelphia when it was new 
And uh, huh. he had the car until 1963. So this was not a designer's car. This was oh, wow. not a uh, unknown hot rodder's car. But what he basically did was absolutely hot rod it back at the period. But not so much the uh, you know the performance mods. It was all about the styling mods that he did to this car. And it just it, for some reason it just works. I mean I've shown the picture. Work. I've shown the picture of this car to literally a hundred people. Uh, you know, I just, I would, you know, I'd pop it up on my iPhone and say, what do you think of this car? And, and everybody who looked at it would say, man, that's a good looking car. And once you saw it in person, it was a showstopper. It just happened to be the right car at the right time with the right owner. Yeah. I think there's only like four or five owners this car's had in its entire lifetime. It is not, it is absolutely not a, uh, you know, a car that's been babied all its life. It is a survivor mostly um you know and it's kind of presented in survivor condition i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say this right in public at 1.6 this car was cheap it went to a, a oh. collection a collection in pennsylvania so it goes back to its original state i'm sure it'll be on display very shortly if it's not on display uh, right now and so i think a lot of people are going to be able to see this it's the center point of a of a collection uh, and you know, again, why, why are you being so cagey about it? Who is it? Where is it? It's three dog garage. I mean, I, I saw oh. them, uh, you know, the, the principal, one of the principals bidding on it. So it's going to be in three dog garage. I, I don't know if it's on uh, display yet, but, uh, uh, in central Pennsylvania. So it'll be available. Be seen. So, uh, that, uh, what I'm hearing is a normal Chrysler CG isn't worth close to this money. A, a really, really nice one, you know, is going to top out close to a million bucks. Ah. Uh, I've, I've seen really, really nice ones sold, but they don't have the line of this car. They don't have the look of this car. Uh, you know, I, I guess what, what I'm saying is this guy hit it out of the park by doing what he did back in the day to make yeah. it look uh, the way it does. So, and, you know, here's a, here's a rare example. No harm, no foul. The guy put, uh, you know, did stuff to it and modified it and make it, made it his own. Uh, you know, two generations later, it sells for, and becomes the most expensive Chrysler ever. It's really, the patina is amazing. I encourage everybody <laughs> to go look at it. So, okay, so this is a special one-off car. Um, I, and, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, what I'm trying to figure out, Dave, does this tell us that these pre-war cars don't have to be Duesenbergs or Bentleys to be valuable to the next generation? Or do you think this one traded hands uh, in that typical age range, you know, the the boomers and above? What happened? You know, it's funny because uh, <clears throat> I think this one definitely goes cross generations. I think okay. that, uh, that, that the next buyer of this car, you know, this collection might have it for who knows, 50, 100 years. But the next buyer of this car would be just as interested in the in the design and the look of the car uh, because it's just you know if you had to like put all the elements together of a great looking post war uh, I'm sorry pre war car and have them all in one car this is about it it's long it's low it has sloped windshield it has rakish fenders it has you know not overdone wheels they're wire wheels but they're painted it doesn't have too much chrome it, it yeah it's kind of got it all Gatsby esque is what you're saying. Yeah, something like that. I could tell you're very enthusiastic about this car. Uh, Dave, I want to give you all the space possible to express your emotions about it. Have we done that? Is it time to move on, or is there more you want to say about it? Anything else would be duplicative at this point, but uh, um, <laughs> I didn't you know, know you knew that word. Good for you. Yeah, I, you know every every year <laughs> I pick up like four or five new new words, and I just try and throw them out there, usually in an appropriate way. So yeah. Okay, because I want to move on to something that's a little more my speed. Selfishly, this was the car that sold at Bonhams at the Goodwood members meeting auction. 
And this is a race car. It's a 1999 Subaru Impreza WRC car. It was driven by Richard Burns. Richard Burns, a uh, hugely talented driver. He was the driver after the very famous Colin McRae. Both of them are not with us anymore, sadly. McRae, a uh, hugely talented, crash-prone driver, passed away in a helicopter accident. Richard Burns, I, I don't know if it was cancer, but I'm pretty sure it was a uh, brain tumor, sadly. Mm. Um, and these cars are built by ProDrive. Uh we talk about rally cars. We talk about this era called Group B in the 80s. But now folks are really starting to recognize that these crazy built production-based cars when Subaru and Mitsubishi were really going at it in the 90s are hugely desirable. This one sold for about half a million bucks. I am not surprised. I think this is a fantastic car. I don't know what your thoughts are on these, if they kind of just go, yeah, whatever. But I couldn't, I couldn't wish more that I could buy this one. Oh yeah, I think these these cars have great appeal to a lot of people. I'm a Subaru owner. Mine is a WRX STI. Obviously, it is a uh, oh uh, you know it's the it's the poor boys version of the uh, of the uh, rally cars. But you know, rally put uh, put these cars on the map. It put uh, a whole bunch of different cars on the map. This was a stage winner in the 2000 WRC Monte Carlo Rally. It's a works WRC participant. Really well known history of this car. Not surprising. This price did not surprise me one little bit. I think that uh, you know it was what four hundred and fifty some odd thousand pounds. Yeah. Uh, at, at like you said, a half a million bucks worth every penny. Um, you know, uh, you know this car cashes those checks that the other ones uh, you know think they can write. Um, this is the real deal with great drivers, and you know was there, uh, you know participated in this stuff and survived. Dave, do you got patience for a little bit of storytelling from me? Oh, yeah. Let's do okay. it. So I actually went to ProDrive shop, and I drove Colin McRae's version of this car, which was a couple of years newer. And you go to ProDrive, it was, uh, I want to say, uh, I'm going to Banbury, and right kind of in the middle of Motorsports Alley in, in the UK. And they had these body shells, these imperative body shells, with people were spending weeks seam welding the bodies on these things that the drivers might just throw away in a crash. But the things that really strike me about the appeal of these things is I think it's overlooked. Most race cars that you buy, vintage ones, you can't drive them on the street. These cars, are they come with a plate. I don't know what it would take to get it plated in the U.S., but I bet you could because it's over right around maybe over 25 years. And since they're off-roader cars, they have ground clearance. They've got suspension that can drive. So you own this thing. You can drive it to cars and coffee. I'm not a guy who likes to go pimping, but I think a lot of people do. And this is the ultimate. This is the cars and coffee mic drop, even more so than like a McLaren Senna. Yeah, you agree? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Now, you might want to do something about the exhaust if you're going to a Cars of Coffee that starts at 7 in the morning uh, because you will wake up not only the neighborhood you drive by but the one next to it. But uh, uh, what a sweet noise it makes. Uh, what a you know what a fun story this car tells. Uh, unfortunately, like most of these cars, it'll probably wind up in a museum where it's not used all that often. Let's hope it winds up someplace where it uh, does continue to get used because yeah. this car needs motion to, uh, to tell story oh they're super fun and at this era was highly restricted in terms of horsepower so they only had about 300 horsepower and they had standard hewlin h pattern gearboxes uh there was we were at this test track with i was uh i was in the car with colin mccray and he took me around and he could turn on this english accent maybe you could you could uh 
you could demonstrate for people here, Dave, that <laughs> I think he did it purposely so I couldn't understand it. I would just look at him and be like, what? And he'd look back and be like, oh, 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 oh. what? Yeah, he just, then, he just yeah. wanted to, to make sure that you couldn't take any notes about what he was saying. That's he wanted to feel stupid. But then I drove the thing and uh, slid it around the mud, and it was – you know, because you could do any of these things. You 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 could tour around with it. You could take it to a track day. You know, as long as you get one, this is what I would look for. And I wouldn't be so particular about race history. Like if I could buy the spare car, that is what I would want. One that wasn't beat on uh, like crazy and but went through the entire same build process. I think that's what I would want more than anything. And that's probably not the value car you want in appreciation, but I think that'd be the car to own. You know, the funny thing is, it just occurs to me that cars like this are, uh, you know, if you only want and you only have room for one car, yeah. uh, you know, in, not only in your garage, but maybe in your life, this is one of those, yeah, I'll sell everything else and, and have this one car. It's that important. It's it is, that fun. It? It's that yeah. cool. And boy, is it that fast as well. So uh, a great story, great car. So half a million bucks, you're telling me it's going to appreciate well, you know, it's not going to appreciate like some other cars uh, because it, it takes, okay, drivers, you know, with race cars, we're always talking about what what races they won and who's yeah. what drivers were associated okay. with it. So yep, this yep. is this has got the drivers associated with it, not a problem. Um, it, it, you know, it wasn't exactly the dominating car in, in World Rally at, at, at any point, but it was a, you know, important car in that, in that thing. So yeah, there's, there's, there's room left in it. It'll probably go up better than inflation does. And you know, with what inflation's doing, that's pretty good anyway, right? Okay. If I'm reading between the lines, because you've been in your business for a long time, you can't promise anything. I understand that. That, that, what I interpreted was, yeah, a little bit, but not huge gains. Yeah. And okay, your, that's what you're your, saying. And, okay, and your point is, <laughs> I'm just I want to be sure that is, I mean that's helpful and insightful. As excited I am about this thing, thinking it's a great investment. What you basically just said is like you got to buy this thing because you love it. If you're buying this thing because of investment, you're 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 off base. Well, I, look, you know, it's a specialty car. I mean, you know, there are, there are plenty of kids out there saying, boy, would I love a WRC rally car, you know, and I just said rally, rally, but, uh, but we say ATM machine as well. So, you know, I'll, I'll let that one pass. But anyhow, the uh, long story short is that it's a specialty car. It's not like the one that goes on the wall of everybody The you know, the, you know, the poster car as anything other than a race car. So, yeah, you can use this car in the United States. You can get Florida plates on it, you know, whatever. Uh, you can't do that in Sweden. You can't do that in a whole bunch of places. So it doesn't have that, you know, that mm. availability mm. for use in absolutely every country and absolutely every circumstance. However, you know, yes, it's going to appreciate in my humble opinion. Uh, but I, like I always say, my crystal ball was built by Lucas and it's out for repair again. So, Well, that's, I get it. Thank you. Mm. I think I'm, 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 I haven't, I was about to call the bank for a third mortgage on my house, but maybe <laughs> I'll stop. Well, let's move on. Let's go on to the next segment, which is cars that are going to be, uh, the auctions that are closing in the, in the next week or so. And the one I, I was, uh, another car I was really excited to talk about you because this car I was super geeked about. It's on the Haggerty Marketplace auctions. It's a 66 Chevy Corvette LS3. It's a resto mod. So this is what they call that mid-year, the second generation Corvette. It's a coupe. I think this body style is freaking dynamite, one of the most gorgeous American cars ever made. It always worked best for me in a dark color. 
this thing is just it has t- i mean i can't stand the wheels i think that's a sin but easily changed <laughs> but right it's got a ls3 it's got an updated transmission updated brakes air conditioning somebody s- subbed in a split window in the back which it didn't come with because that was only a 63 model year. Yep. So this is why I'm, this is like what I call resto mod tribute. I love working in this zone where the real collectors, they don't want anything to do it. They think it's some sort of bastard, but I love it because I get all the experience and the style functionality at some bargain. Although I have no idea what this thing's going to go for. That's why I'm excited to watch it. Um, Does this car do anything for you or are you like, it's been butchered. Where are you on this one? You know, I'm kind of ambivalent, but I, I appreciate it for what it is. Now let's 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 go back just a little bit. I believe in gen- right. in January this year at uh, Barrett Jackson, we saw a '63 split window that was uh-huh. rest- resto modded that sold for more than a completely restored, correctly done blooming to gold NCRS car. It sold at like 363,000 from memory, something like that. Oh, Just damn. absolutely crazy money, you know, for, to me. <sighs> but yeah. uh uh but the rest of mods are all about the build quality, you know, yeah, what, who built it? You know, right. what the features are, you know, whose chassis it has, all those sorts of things. This has the LS3 motor. I, you know, it's at a ridiculously cheap price right now. I'm sure this will go way, way up because it's a uh, it's a long lead auction. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, the the build quality looks fantastic. I, I absolutely agree with you that dark colors are better for the uh, mid year of the '63 through '67 cars. I have no idea why somebody put a split window in, other than the fact they just wanted a tribute to a '63 only. Uh, it's kind of crazy to me, but you know, uh, to each their own. Uh, you know, these cars are really, really making numbers in the in the marketplace, and I think that a lot of people are really, really excited about the fact you can have this look of a 63 drive it use it every day it has air conditioning that's more than a you know a mouse blowing over a uh, an ice cube to keep you cold <laughs> you know all that sort of stuff so uh, uh, that's all good it, it you know it'll have brakes that actually stop the car uh you know in 65 yeah. was the first improvement in the uh, you know in corvette brakes back in the day uh but uh yeah i mean i get that people like these things it's not my cup of tea but i enjoy the fact that they're out there uh you know and this is kind of the other funny thing you can say is all the snobs who you know has to be numbers correct has to be this has to be you know the all the fiberglass has to date from the correct year and all that sort of stuff <laughs> this is the antithesis of that this is just like can you date code fiberglass yeah. i didn't know you could do well, that no but you know people you know the white fiberglass versus the gray fiberglass oh uh, is whatever. that a thing that's a know. thing man it's a thing but anyhow, and you know, you have to have the correct edges on the this and the you know the 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 grill has to have the little clip in the center and all this sort of stuff. This is the antithesis of that. This is yeah. like that nobody cares. We just want the look. We want the car to drive. We want it to have fun with. And you know what's wrong with that? So I I have no arguments about that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I asked questions in the comments on the auction, and uh, the the seller jumped back in, and this car was uh, purchased through Meekum in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it has quite a big list of top shelf parts. Street street shop chassis, uh, a Tremec five speed. It's got a Corvette C six suspension. It's got the power and heated C six seats, Z06 brake rotors, power steering. I mean, power windows. Um, all this stuff. You know, I haven't driven it. That is where the your point is. The proof is in the pudding. Who built it? Did they integrate all this stuff? Um, but I'll just say. 
even if it's not perfectly integrated, get everything to fit and work, and then you can tinker on it um, is a possibility. I I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of kicking myself for talking about this car because I don't want anybody else to bid on it because I will be bidding. But, ah, such Thank a cool you, thing. Give me, give me your handle. I'll make sure I always go in for 500 more. How's that? <laughs> okay, another one, um, and this is this is going to be fascinating to watch too. It's also on the, uh, the Haggerty Marketplace, and you can go to that by go Haggerty.com, and there's a little tab that says Marketplace, or you just search Haggerty Marketplace, and you'll come to the auctions. Um, is a CTSV wagon from 2011, another GM product. What's your guess on is going to happen with this one? You know, <clears throat> it depends on a number of different factors. I haven't checked the uh, the Carfax on it and all that sort of stuff. A lot of people like the, you know, the, you know, these cars can be options up in a whole bunch of ways. They can be optioned with sports seats. Uh, but the most important option of all is the six-speed, and this car has it. I have come very, very close to pulling a trigger on these cars before. I really like the look. You do? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, no, big fan. I like the look. I like the fact. You that like the white? Uh, no, that's not my favorite color. Uh, Definitely not my it. favorite color. You know, they have that electric blue. They have the red. They have the black. You know, a couple of other colors. This was probably, I, I really not a white fan. I, you know, if I wanted another refrigerator, I'd buy one. But, it doesn't uh, show dirt, Dave. What are you talking about? Yeah, or waves in the paint. Yeah, you know, I, you know I, that. I get the monthly subscription at the car wash, so I can wash as much as I want. So there you go. <laughs> not that I think I'd take a CTSV wagon to that, but, you know, hey. Anyhow, I love the look. I love the fact that it happened. That's the coolest part of the story is like, okay, well, Cadillac was doing this and doing that, and a whole bunch of other things are going on. You know, they went and they uh, made this, you know, kind of almost impossible wagon that went incredibly fast. Uh, was literally the hundred mile drive it all day cruiser that uh, you know that you yeah. expect only the Europeans to have. Um, it's right now at stupid, crazy cheap money at fifteen. Um, you know, it's not going to do one fifty, uh, but it's uh, probably going to close a lot closer to a hundred uh, on either oh. side on either side of a hundred. So who knows, eighty nine, you know, one hundred five. I haven't drilled down and looked at all the you know, all the bona fides it looks on good. this car, but it sure does look nice. Okay, that that's instructive because I was really curious. You know, I'm in the automotive journalist community, and everybody gets really excited about wagons with stick shifts, and you know, it's one of those weird things that like any community has their quirks. And I was just curious if the broader enthusiast market really appreciated these wagons like we do, because this thing, let's be real. I don't think it sold that well when it was new. This was a Bob Lutz special, you know, the, the we should all bow down to Bob Lutz. Maximum Bob. He lives right down the street. I've lunch with him every so often. He is a, a fantastic, wonderful human. And he loves his stuff, and he brought us some great cars. But this was not one of those hugely going off the showroom floor, paying more for sticker cars, oddly. So, but in its now ten years on, people are realizing, oh, how did we not see this when it was here? Because yep. they didn't. How many of these could they have made? They didn't make that many. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I don't know the exact number. And of course, the, you know, because it's GM, there's a whole line of options you could get in the car. So uh, you know, almost all of them are one of one or one of two or one of three when you drill down with the options and the uh, uh, and the uh, equipment. You could get it, of course, with an automatic, but. Who would want to do that in this car? So uh, actually, you know, the automatic's fine for a lot of people. I get it. They're going to enjoy that even more. I want a six-speed, so this is the car I want. Well, um, 
super duper cool. I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's definitely one that's going to be. And the one thing I just do want to say, I, I drove a lot of these too. And it, it was kind of fun because I've also driven a lot of tune, tuner cars. And these are shops that will modify new cars. They'll put a V8 in a Solstice or a big motor in a Corvette. And there's a certain feel to them. They don't feel factory. And with this generation CTSV, everybody was saying like, oh my gosh, it's a factory tuner car, right? Because they put this monster motor. To me, I was driving and I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like a tuner car. Like it just didn't have that perfect new car manufactured integration. And I didn't think that was bad. I thought that added some character, but that was one of the weird quirks to this thing that I'm not sure everybody gets, but super cool. If it gets six figures, I'd be pretty happy. Now there's a couple on your list that you're watching. Why don't you tell us about them? Hey, I've got a 61 Mercedes-Benz coming up at the Mecham sale in uh, Indy. Now, the Mecham Indy sale is, you know, traditionally been a great sale for performance cars, especially muscle cars. Um, I think it's interesting they have this car here. Just to point it out, it's a million six to a million eight. Uh, oh, my gosh. Is the, That's like going money. Is the estimate. And I don't, you know, hey, I don't know. It could do it. It is a very, very nice car in great colors. So, uh, you know, it's got, it's got a lot of things going for it. I'm, I'm putting that out there as one to watch and that, uh, that sales coming up pretty shortly. So uh, why to watch? Because if it gets this money, suddenly it's lifted all those sort of generation Ben sports cars, you know, they could be ready for another little bump up. I, I am not sure about that, but, uh, you know, they only made 1858 of the 300 SL roadsters. Um, this is 61, not exactly late production because they made 62 and, and actually maybe a few of them snuck out in 1963. Uh, graphite gray with black is a really, really cool color. I, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, unfortunately, uh, red is not my color on these cars for a lot of people. It is because red's a great sports car color, but the kind of the graphite gray, you know, just looks a little more subtle. It looks like, you know, something more, uh, James Bond than a, uh, you know, mm. WWE wrestler would, uh, would have ordered now. So. Now, Dave, this is the same car that's the Gullwing, right? Am I that dumb? Did I? It's the con uh -oh. it's the continuation. Look, the Gullwing is a completely different car in many, many, many ways. It has the same kind of look. Uh, for me, I'm a I like the Gullwing. I like the Gullwings better to look at than to drive. I like the Roadsters even better to drive than to look at. Why? Well, number one, I can fit in them. Number two, it's not an easy bake oven like the uh, like the uh, uh, gull wings can be on a hot day. You know, there is no air conditioning. Those windows don't roll down; they snap out. And so, uh, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of heat related issues with that. Plus, getting in and out is no longer any fun. Uh, yeah, so, you know, but I like the roadster. So, uh, you know, but you you get you guys in the Hagerty Valuation Department talk about the gull wing as the barometer for the market. And what you're saying here is this convert could be worth more than the going it's possible we've had that happen it's been like a horse race you know sometimes we're, we're seeing mm. the, the the roadsters more than the going often we see the goings more than the roadster you know the gold standard is obviously the the very very late roadsters and the very first of the uh 54 goings which uh, they they made some uh aluminium copies uh so uh, you know the alloy cars are worth the most followed by all the rest okay let me throw a theory out mm-hmm is that because the buyers of either of these cars are getting up in years and really don't want to deal with getting in a going and therefore driving up the values of the convertible? 
you know, there's something to that, I think. Oh, but, no. uh, but, you know, the other side of it is is that the practical nature of the uh, of the uh, the roadster is much more so than the gullwing. The gullwing is a piece of sculpture, whereas the roadster is something you can still use on an everyday basis, take it on the California Millet, you know, take it on all kinds of things where you might not be quite as happy in the... I could take that rally car on the California Millet. Okay. You got a ticket to that? Because we can go. I'll have to work on that. Okay. okay. Need a navigator. I'm. I'm I'll be available. watching that one. Yeah. And then there's another one you threw in there. I was. I was excited to see you did there. Tell me. Tell us about it. What. What. What intrigued you? All that stuff. Well, uh, you know, it's a 2021 McLaren Elva Roadster. Okay. So not something you see all the time. And this thing is in that kind of, uh, you know, purplish slimy lizard look uh, color combination. It's got an estimate of one million seven to two million dollars. Uh, it's a ninety one. Uh, 91 mile car, um, a car you never ever see. Uh, that's all. That's why I put it in there. It's 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 uh, uh, it's super weird car. This is basically a McLaren, whatever 720 or whatever number with no roof, no windshield. Right? How about this? It's a McLaren does Koenigsegg. Now think of it that way. So now we got bookends of the cars we're talking about because it oh. kind of satisfies the same thing. It's uh, you know the topless roadster look. Uh, it's got all that going on, and it's got the McLaren name. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch to see what what happens with this car. I'm with you. Yeah, this is like back to my theory about how many of these things could be fetching seven figure prices, mm-hmm. and uh, especially something like this. Like, uh, but and it, and especially in this color, I mean, it, it's just like you got to figure there's going to be five people in the crowd, maybe not even. That think this is the great color for this car, this purplish. Although, you know, I'm kind of colorblind, so am I missing something, or do you really like it? <laughs> well, I think you know. Hey, if you're gonna be, uh, you know, if you're gonna be a bear, why not be a grizzly, right? I mean, you know, go crazy and make it, uh, you know, your color and and what you want. Um, they made 150, 149 of these things. This is car number 122. Uh, very, very rare worldwide. Uh, I just think it's such an outrageous car that. Uh, yeah, it's worth noting. It's not something that I'll be bidding on because uh, you know I'm going to fall a little short to that 1.7, but uh, we'll see what happens. Well, this is this speaks to one of the tenants you always tell me, like, dude, rarity counts, mm-hmm. and this is a rare car if that's all they have. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll certainly be watching. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, Dave, great time. It's May. I've already been out in some of my cars. You know, we're seeing more cars and coffee happening here in Michigan. So I just feel so grateful we're out of that winter. Any final words from you? Yeah, get out and drive again. Right, of course. How could I forget that? Please get out and drive, everybody. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, We would like to try and get some questions going, so leave them in the comments. We'll do our best to answer them. We'll catch you next time on No Reserve.